Welcome back to episode 56 of the Hockey House Podcast presented by Optimex Sports. I'm your host, Mackenzie Murphy, joined alongside by Colin Fitzgerald and Stephen Glick. Herm is out tonight, feeling under the weather, so we're wishing him the best as we bring you all the latest news in non-NCAA college hockey here in the United States. Boys, how are we doing this weekend? Fitz, I'd imagine that you're pretty fired up based on the guys at, at IU pulling it together this weekend. Absolutely. That was absolutely electric. I was keeping tabs on them. We were on our way to Watertown that day to play but uh, I was watching on the bus and um, all the alumni were, we got a, a group chat going and we were all fired up for them. And then them heading over to Chili's afterwards and, and having a time there, it was pretty special. I was pretty busy this weekend, so didn't you know have my eye on everything as much as I would have liked to, but I made sure to get that post fired off at, at a bar in Charlotte uh, while I was at my brother's bachelor party because uh, I just thought that the, not only the photo outside of Chili's, but the fact that Chili's Twitter account responded to it made it even better. So yeah, huge shout out to the guys at IU. They pulled it together this weekend. They captured the TSCHL Tournament Championship with a 4-2 win over Miami of Ohio. Goaltender Sammy Billis was named Tournament MVP. And like I said, the boys got a huge shout-out from Chili's afterwards, too. So it made for a good weekend. And things in the Fed are all right, too, Fitz? Things are all right. We we finally took down Watertown for once. We squeaked out a win against them this past Monday. So things are looking up, and we got a uh, another three games in three days this weekend one of them coming against Watertown again so it should be fun did you catch the brawl between Watertown and Carolina yes yeah yeah that was insane the trainer for Watertown was up there like throwing the glass back and forth but one of the the guys who just kind of like helps out he's like kind of an assistant coach he got nailed in the head by the uh the glass and got a concussion from it kind of a crazy uh crazy scene but not surprising with uh the fed yeah, I wanted to give a shout out too because Dylan Clark was doing the play-by-play. He's the former cock hockey broadcaster. So he did a heck of a job doing the play-by-play of, of that video. Herm was in South Carolina for the weekend, speaking of the Gamecocks, and he had a great experience doing that. Uh, he's not here recording with us now, but I wanted to leave time here for him to come back through and kind of explain uh, what that weekend was like traveling down to South Carolina. Still a little under the weather, but I'm going to try and recap my South Carolina weekend as best as possible. Cannot say enough wonderful things about the cock hockey guys. Thank you very much to Liam Gormley, Gorms, for being a wonderful host. The Plex is very much everything it's hyped up to be and then some. They do college hockey different down south. It is a lot of fun to be a part of. And cock hockey is really, truly a content factory for hockey at this point. I have never shot for a team where I was physically out on the ice for warms. Like, I've shot from the benches before. Never physically been out on the ice for it. Shout out to all the wonderful staff members who were so accommodating this weekend. Special shout outs to D'Angelo Stevenson and Alyssa Tull for both of their help this weekend. After the win on Friday, uh, we hit up Fester's, which is one of the bars in Columbia. Did some karaoke until the early morning and got to drink out of the Palmetto Cup. Took the road trip next day to Clemson for the back half of a home-and-home series between the teams, which resulted in a sweep for the Gamecocks. Everyone was in good spirits afterwards. Shout out that game to the Clemson scoreboard operator, who needed a Clemson player to come over in the middle of the game and help him fix it multiple times, leading to a quality tweet from Kakaki. Afterwards, we went back to Columbia, hit up five points. I cannot hang at their pace, and I went to bed a little bit early to make sure I caught my flight 12 out of 10 would absolutely recommend my prediction about south carolina stomping clemson came true and i'd do it again in a heartbeat back to you murph 
Sounds like it was an awesome weekend for Herm being down in South Carolina and watching the Gamecocks sweep the Clemson Tigers. Glick, how was your weekend? Oh, so we didn't have any games this weekend, so we had a nice fun week of practices leading up to the weekend off. On Tuesday, we had a little skills competition that ended up being decided by the final shootout. Thursday, we had a three-on-three tournament that was also decided in the final game in overtime. So we basically took NHL Ulster Weekend in Vegas and condensed it down. But it was fun, and now we're just looking forward to playoffs this coming weekend. That's awesome. We're wishing the Owls the best of luck. We wrapped up the, the season a couple weeks ago, but last week we spent the week doing Tuesday was an inter-squad scrimmage where the captains picked teams and we and we played. And then Thursday was a three-on-three tournament. My team fell short in both of those. I My team lost eight to seven in the inter-squad scrimmage, not to call out some of my teammates, but I was a plus six. I was out there for six of our goals and none of the opponents, and we lost eight to seven. So my teammates did not carry their weight. My three-on-three team went undefeated in the regular season and lost in the championship to the underdogs in overtime. So that is how my season ended, which was a a pretty big bummer. Yeah, my three-on-three team also faced the exact same fate as yours. It's it's terrible. Like, you know, round robin play, you go undefeated when it when it doesn't matter if you lose. And then when it comes down to single elimination, it's tough to, to get a bad bounce there. But like I said, I mentioned the weekend I spent in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, for my brother Joe's bachelor party, which was a great experience. Got to see former guests and friend of the show, Ford Hatchet. We went to a Charlotte Checkers game, which was a, a grand old time. I, I go to crunch games all the time here in Syracuse, but it was nice to get an AHL experience down in the south and got to see uh Spencer. Knight was in net for the checkers, which was pretty cool. He was probably the most notable guy in the lineup, but all in all is good. Uh, flew back on Monday morning. Absolutely brutal coming back and going to class Monday afternoon, but uh, it was all worth it to go down there. Plenty of action this weekend. Lots of playoff. One of the game of the weeks or the game to watch was an Eschel play-in game on Thursday night. A lot of talk about this one. Drexel was hosting NYU at Class of 23 Arena. NYU had not played all semester long due to a, a COVID shutdown within NYU and they weren't allowed to, to play. They showed a lot of fight considering they had not played so long. I watched most of that game from here in Syracuse and was really impressed with how how long NYU hung in there. Drexel jumped out to an, a lead early in the third period and NYU was just too much for them to come back from. And it didn't end up mattering either because uh, Drexel would fall to Stony Brook the, the following day. But there was another good game between URI and Delaware, thrilling over overtime game uh, with a lot of nationals implications on the line both of these teams fighting for spots a late goal by delaware tied it up and brought it into overtime i wanted to give a shout out to the delaware player who was injured halfway through the third period and received some some instant medical attention he is doing all right we were reporting on that while the game was going on as as i was watching that from the airport in dc during my layover uh, i caught some of that action but it was good to see that that he was okay and they were all right and delaware put up a really good fight the next day but unable to beat Stony Brook, who won the Eschel title with a 4-2 win. The win would ultimately kind of bump Delaware out of the Nationals picture. They really needed that auto bid. But we'll get to more on Nationals later on in the show. Indiana wasn't the only team who walked away with a conference tournament in the Hoosier State this weekend. Indiana Tech also claimed their second straight Wolverine Hoosier Athletic Conference Championship with a 6-1 win over UM Dearborn. The win put Dearborn in some doubt of making the tournament. Similar situation as Delaware, uh, but Dearborn ended up making it the 
Warriors did have their hands full in the semis. They defeated Concordia with a 3 nothing win. Stan, you know, as I mentioned, I was down in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, but NC State claimed their fourth straight ACCHL Conference Championship with a 3 nothing win over UNC on Sunday in Winston-Salem. The Ice Pack had a tough path to the finals, which included a thrilling come-from-behind overtime victory against the host Wake Forest in the semis. Uh, with a minute 44 to play, the Ice Pack were trailing by three goals, and they managed to tie the game up and win it in overtime, propelling them to to a championship game where they played UNC Chapel Hill or last year gave the Ice Pack a hard time about winning the conference title when only there were only two teams in the playoffs. So the Ice Pack kind of got to flex their muscles again on, on UNC with a 3 nothing win. Time for some shout outs. Not only did the NC State men's team clinch an ACC title, but their women's team did as well. They followed it up by bringing home the title with a 6-4 win over West Virginia. Impressively enough, they did so with only eight skaters and a goalie. They knocked off West Virginia 6-4, to four, which officially makes NC State a hashtag hockey school would bring it home to ACC titles. I think it's about time that the university lets the teams use the, the official school logo. They're both using the Ice Pack logo. They are a hashtag hockey school now. They even got a shout-out from their athletic department on Twitter. Kind of seems pretty ironic at this point. They should just let them use the, the official school branding because they're doing such a good job promoting the school anyways. That wasn't the only news out of the women's ACC tournament. George Washington's women's goalie Callie Glass recorded 110 saves in a 6-1 loss to West Virginia. The Mountaineers outshot the Colonials 116-8 in the quarterfinals. 110 saves is absolutely nuts. You know, growing up, there has been games where I faced a lot of shots, but never that amount. That When I saw it this morning on Instagram, I was dumbfounded. It was ridiculous. You know, congratulations to her. She really played well. I mean, six goals on 116 shots. That's an incredible performance. I think she made more saves in one game than I have in the past, like, eight. So congrats to her. <laughs> yeah, that that is Absolutely insane and unbelievable accomplishment uh, for Callie Glass. Want to give a shout out to the John Carroll men's Division One team. They played spoiler this weekend, capturing the College Hockey Mid-America title. The Streaks knocked off Kent State Friday night, followed it up with a 4-3 win over IUP with 27 seconds to go. And then they hosted the number one seed Pitt in the finals and won 3-1 on home ice. The win clinched JCU and auto bid to Nationals, which certainly knocked out some bubble teams because people had Pitt picked to win this conference and uh, would have left room for an at-large bid at the end. But uh, the streaks come away with the title on home ice and uh, pretty cool scene out in Ohio. So congratulations to the streaks for clinching a spot at Nationals. Looking forward to seeing them there. Pitt also will get into the tournament and they're going to face Navy in the first round. Uh, but earlier in the CH. MA tournament. Uh, West Virginia upset the defending champs Robert Morris in an upset, which capped off a, a really good season for West Virginia, one of the best in their program's history. Speaking of successful teams wearing, wearing blue and gold, the Central Oklahoma Bronchos finished the regular season undefeated on home ice, going a perfect 19-0, capping it off with a sweep against in-state rival, the Oklahoma Sooners. So shout out to the Bronchos. I uh, wanted to give a shout out to my former roommate, Nick Manusos, who got engaged to his longtime girlfriend, Hannah, after our inner squad scrimmage we had a guy mic'd up and he was able to uh get that all on video of him telling the boys that he was going to pop the question to his old lady and you could see by the reaction from the boys that this was we weren't really surprised by this but we were indeed fired up for it so i wanted to give him a shout out on the pod we posted that video earlier today some more shout outs congrats to u tampa's d3 team for clinching the fchc championship over in the chf lynn hockey wanted to say thank you to all the shout outs that they have received and all the people who 
have donated to their program in the last week in response to that fire. And lastly, I want to give a shout out to UMass, who won the Patriot Conference title with an OT win over Northeastern at Conway Arena in New Hampshire. Both teams will have the weekend off this week as the rest of the teams compete in the regional tournament. Northeastern and UMass already clinched spots in the D2 National Tournament. Lots of exciting hockey going on. Be sure you're looking your best in the playoffs and head over to Selly Hockey Co. Dot com and be sure to use our promo code HockeyHouse20 to get 20% off your order. Lots of new hats from these guys. I would say this is kind of a last-minute push if you want your hat by St. Patrick's Day to be sure to hop on uh, that Ireland hockey hat. It comes in green and white. And be sure to use our promo code. That's HockeyHouse20 at SellyHockeyCo.com. Very, very special guest this week on the podcast. I wish Herm was here to, to help us introduce him. A living ACHA legend, Coach Sean Hogan, is joining the show this week. Uh, Sean coached and won a couple national championships at Oakland before spending some time at Arizona and eventually um, heading over to coach the Bobcats of Ohio. Just an awesome guy, awesome perspective, and perfect for playoff time. I think it's a really... Uh, motivating episode shows what it takes to compete at the national level. I think it's perfect for this time of the year. So that interview is coming up next with Coach Sean Hogan here on the Hockey House Pod. We're pleased to be joined by former Oakland University, University of Arizona, and Ohio University head coach, a two-time ACHA national champion, and the current director of athlete relations for College Hockey Incorporated, Sean Hogan. Coach Hogan, welcome to the Hockey House. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I was looking forward to this. I apologize I had to reschedule, but I'm, I'm glad to be doing this. So thank you. No, I mean, what a resume to kick things off, though. I mean, this was uh, an interview we've been looking forward to for a while now. Well, I, I appreciate you you saying that. I yeah, I bounced around quite a bit and had a lot of really good experiences and I'm, I'm really passionate about the ACHA I really enjoyed it I think it's a great opportunity for players and I think it's a really good opportunity for for young coaches so I, I really enjoyed it so happy to be talking to you guys about it we're happy to have you first checking in how's the family and, and what's life been like lately things are good my son was actually born the first day of the season of my last year coaching in the ACHA um, or the first week of the season I should say I remember he was born like on a it was like Wednesday of the uh, John, we play John Carroll every year of that week. So he's three years old now. Collins Marie is just over one years old. So nobody is sleeping in my house. <laughs> Let's kind of dive into your career as a player to kick things off. Where did you grow up playing hockey and how did you get involved playing college hockey? So I, I grew up in the Metro Detroit area. Um, my dad was in the uh, state police, so we, we moved around a little bit, just around the Detroit area. So I grew up playing in a little town called Redford. Grew up mostly in Waterford, Michigan. And I was just like an okay player. I don't think I was anything special as a player. I ended up playing high school hockey for Waterford Our Lady Lakes, and my dad coached the team. And But I was always passionate about it. Like I, I loved the game, and so I would really just be persistent about trying to play the next level all the time and reached out to coaches and um, had opportunity to play junior hockey for the Metro Jets and would reach out to college coaches and I remember the coach the coaches that got back to me back then were like Canisius and Villanova had a team there's a variety of other places but I ended up at Iona Herm is super familiar with because that's in his hometown of, of New Rochelle and I lived right there on, on North Avenue and I played uh, a year and a half there and up graduating from Michigan State University and I actually played on the ACHA team at Michigan State and that's the first time I'd ever heard of ACHA hockey I knew nothing about it um, as a player growing up the teams that would have been really good in the ACHA when I, when I was that age would have been like Penn State uh, Arizona State or excuse me University of Arizona but I didn't know anything about it um, and if I knew anything about it I think I would have had a really great experience you know 
in the ACHA, but got to know know it when I ended up graduating from Michigan State and playing two years on, on the club team there. And it kind of started my journey through the ACHA at that point. Well, so that's interesting because I had in my notes that you played at Iona and, and graduated from Michigan State, but didn't know that that's where your ACHA career began. Was there a, a moment that stood out to you at Michigan State as your welcome to the ACHA moment? <laughs> yeah, I was. So, yeah, I guess I'll say it, it was in the tryouts because at the time, you know, Michigan State's club team, we, there was we have there was like four or five tryouts and each it was like three or four sessions each time. And the hundreds of kids tried out for this team because there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a ton of ACAJ teams and there's a lot of good hockey players that, that went to Michigan State University. And I had just transferred in from, from NCAA hockey and thought I'd go out there and just be great. I remember that and, and I remember thinking, wow, these guys, some of these guys are, are really good. And I was so out of shape during the tryouts and I threw up on the ice. That's what I remember about it. And everybody, everybody called me Ralphie. I met my first year at the Michigan State club team. But I did, I, I remember going to, we played Kentucky. It was a midnight game and it was both nights, Friday and Saturday night. It was completely sold out. This would have been like in the 90s. I remember thinking, this is incredible. This is a better experience than I had at Iona. I was like, this, this is unreal. The, the amount of, you know, passionate fans and then the players were good. And I, and that's, I just really started, David, David will tell you this. That's why I started becoming kind of a nerd about the ACHA and learning a ton about it and the history of the ACHA and the different coaches that, that coach places. I just, I just became really intrigued with it. I started when I was a player on the club team at Michigan State. Herm, before you go, I'd say no disrespect to uh, the Lexington Ice Center, but I'm sure it hasn't changed much since when you played there. <laughs> I actually, I saw something the other day where they had a Zamboni problem and it looked exactly the same as it did in 1990. <laughs> whatever it was, 9, 1989, 2000. <laughs> I was going to say, Kentucky's a little bit of a sore spot for me this week, but I didn't know they were still doing midnight puck drops way back then. Yeah, and actually, the other thing they did too was, and I can't remember who they were, but they would have legitimate, like famous, whether they were singers or, or movie stars on their team schedule posters. So if you go back and Google that, I think it was like Ashley Judd, like that era. But they were like legitimate. I was like, what is this? <laughs> like, this was incredible. <laughs> yeah. But that was probably my first introduction where I was like, wow, this is, this is there's something to this this is can provide a really good experience for, and it's it obviously it's done nothing but grow since, since then so yeah. after your playing days how did you get involved in, in coaching the ACHA so I, I graduated you had a regular job I went and worked for a, a Medicaid HMO and was just going about my life Oakland University during my last year at, at Michigan State added ACHA hockey that was like right down the road from where, where I was living when I graduated I wanted to get involved. I wanted to coach and I didn't know what level I wanted to coach. And I didn't know if it was high school or, but I wanted to be involved, right? Like I had a passion for the game. I wanted to be, be part of a team again and, and have a chance to lead and teach. And so I reached out to Oakland university. The head coach at the time was, was a guy named Craig first and see if he needed an assistant coach. And he was like, yeah, we, I do. So I went through the process and interviewed with him and met him and met the people that ran the program. And it was more of what, what I would call a true club at that time. Met everybody that, that, that ran it. And I ended up being there two years as an assistant and four years as a head coach and all of it was for free i did it because i loved it but we really grew that program i think you guys probably saw we grew it from you know fledgling startup to we were in four straight national championship games and we won three of them all because we had really good players <laughs> we had some really high really high-end guys that that elevated the level of the acha but yeah it was it was a ton of fun but that's how i got involved i just reached out i was just persistent about it i think i reached out you know several times and so at what point were you told that you'd be looked at as the next head coach for Oakland? So I knew near the end of that second season, Craig had just told me. He was he said, Hey, I'm gonna 
you know, move on from this. I don't have as much time as I used to. And, um, he went and coached, I think, Little Caesars uh, as an assistant, like one of the AAA teams. Um, but he was like, would you be interested in, in taking it over? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be interested. Because, you know, we practiced at 1030 at night. It was, and we practiced like a couple days a week. It was, you know, very much a, a club program at that time. But yeah, he asked me if I'd be be interested in taking it over and, you know, talk to the leadership and the, and the players and everybody thought it'd be a good fit. It was a pretty seamless transition because we, we were able to keep a lot of, a lot of the high-end guys. And, you know, we ended up going to two straight national championships when I was that coach. And that first season would end up being the last season at the Division Two level. What are some memories you took away from that first season as head coach behind the bench? Uh, well, I have a lot, yeah, a lot of good memories there. So that was one of the things I wanted to do immediately when I took over was I wanted to elevate the program to ACHA Division One. And believe it or not, there was a ton of pushback, not really from the university, but people like in in the Oakland hockey community were just very much adamant of the fact that you know we, we're winning championships to the Division Two level, or one of the best teams at the Division Two level. Let's just stay there. We're, we're compete at that level because again, it was a, a true club program, and I just was adamant about moving it up. I I wanted our guys to experience playing like Ohio U, experience playing Penn State, Illinois, and have those opportunities. And I knew at that point, like the juniors who were becoming seniors, that was our best class. And if we waited any longer, we wouldn't have those guys. And by no means did I think we were going to win the national championship in our very first year from D2 to D1. But that's what we did. We were the first team to ever do that. Going back to your questions of like being a head coach for the first time, what I remember most, I don't have any specific memories. I would just say that the amount of work it took, anybody that coaches in the ACJ will tell you that, the amount of work it takes to, to organize uh, that level with, without a lot of help. And I, I was like 24. <laughs> you know, I was not very old. I was like 24 or 25. We had a kid on the team that was older than me at one point. <laughs> it was the amount of work. And I'm trying to think of any, any specific memories from that first year. You know, we beat NYU. Uh, that you know, My first year, we beat Liberty. It was nine to eight. I think was the final score of that game or 10 to nine or something in the, uh, in the national championship game. That's probably my, it was in, in overtime. Um, I remember TJ Scheffler scored the goal and I, I definitely remember that. And we used to give up tons of goals. We, we'd win games, like I said, seven to six and 10 to eight. And it was crazy. You, you know, you kind of mentioned that it takes a lot to run an ACHA program. Were the players that you brought on, were you scouting any players or was it just whoever came out to tryouts is who you had on the team? So what we did back then, and one of the things that was a key to some of the successes that we had at Oakland is we really came up with creative ways to fundraise. As we were growing that program to what it, from what it was to like a, every year we were making a national championship for four straight years, we really created an environment in like around Oakland hockey where kids were aspiring to play there. Like local kids from the Metro Detroit area wanted to come to Oakland and play. So much so that we would host two separate prospect camps in the summer and they would have over 100 kids at each one. So that's how we started doing our recruiting, which is that would be really hard to do now because I think there's just so much ACHA. But back then there wasn't. So we'd have a prospect camp. We'd invite kids. It was like in April or May. And then we'd have one at the end of the end of the summer. And we'd charge players to play. And it was a huge fundraiser for us. But that's how we ended up doing our, like a lot of our recruiting was just whether it was, you know, really good local Michigan high school players or players that were playing at that time called Junior B, which is now called Tier 3. But we'd have over 200 kids trying out for, for Oakland hockey back then, which is why, you know, a huge reason why, why we were so successful. What were some of the reasons that you guys were so successful making the jump to Division One? Did you guys bring on any more talent or were did those guys at the division? Division two level just ready for the challenge. Well, the guys in Division two ready ready for the challenge. I, I would say the reason why we were so successful is there was two players. One was named Will McMahon, and one was named Brent Cooper, and they're both ACHA Hall, Hall of Famers. Will McMahon 
uh, I'm going. I'm, I'm going. To, I don't want to exaggerate his stats. But he had 117 or 120 points in one ACHA season in like 30 or 40 games. Like that's incredible. Like regardless of who you're playing against, I still say this to this day. He might be in terms of dominating a level of play, the most dominant player I've ever seen. Like at, at a level of play, anytime he got the puck on the ice, like it could be in the defensive zone. We used to play a ring called the Onyx. Everybody in the Onyx would be like standing up because he was just so incredibly talented. And I've, I've never quite seen anything like it. That year, we beat Penn State in the finals five to one. Penn State outshot us forty four to twenty or something like that. And the game was one to one going into the third period. And Will scored four third period goals for us to win five to one. <laughs> so like we had some exceptionally talented players and uh he was he was he was just a phenomenal and brent cooper which is a, was another phenomenal player um at that time he played you know before he came to oakland he transferred from wisconsin river falls i remember he called me and he played a texas tornado in, in the north american league and that was at like a level of play because the, back then the north american league only had about you know, 16 teams or 12 teams. So the kids that were playing there were really high level and there wasn't a lot of those kids in the ACHA. And the other thing that was really unique about Oakland was that it's a commuter school and we only carried 21 kids. All 21 of those kids, for the exception of one, lived within 10 miles of the university. But it was like, there's, a, there's a, like a hockey hotbed, you know, it's the Metro Detroit area. So that was another unique, unique feature. But then also over the course of those six years, we built a tremendous culture. The kids just they played through everything. They loved being there. They truly cared about each other. I thought that was a huge part of our success. Even though Will was super talented and Brent, you know, Cooper were, were super talented players, everybody else, well, you know, contributed and they, they all cared immensely about each other. And they did everything. All, all six years, all those guys did everything together. Um, and that, that was a huge part of the reason why we, we, we had so much success at Oakland for so long was the culture that was created by those guys. And speaking of that culture, do you have any tips for current coaches who are aspiring to build those winning cultures at their universities? Yeah, I think that's that's the most important thing. I think way more than than X's and O's or the way I would describe it is, have you ever watched an NHL game and thought to yourself, wow, I've never seen that power play in my life or I've never seen that penalty kill in my life. Everybody's doing the same thing. So the advantages can be created through culture and, and you know, players that truly care about each other. So we in all my stops, I would t talk about that constantly and try to put it in the most simplest terms. I mean, our goal pretty much every year I was coaching was to be the most cohesive team in the nation and just try to get better every day and just focus all of our energy into that and just talk about the importance of really caring about your teammates. And it doesn't really matter who, who scores the goals or gets the assists, just creating that environment. And once you get there, like what I've always found with players, if they truly enjoy I think this is true of everything. Even, even with work, right? If you truly enjoy the process, you'll take ownership in that development, right? You'll take ownership in your own development. Like about you, you enjoy what you're doing, you'll take ownership in it. And if you can get the players to take ownership in it, then the sky is the limit. And that just starts with, they got to enjoy going to rank every day. It can't be a chore. It can't be a miserable time. And I'm not saying it, it's always hunky-dory and there's no discipline. I'm just saying that because I think players do want to be part of something bigger than them. If you can get the get players to take ownership in the process, man, that's why I think we had so much success at a lot of the places is player-led teams, man, win championships. I just gave a bunch of coach speak there for about 30 seconds, but <laughs> I do believe. I also think it's cool, like you talked about, I'm trying to think of some examples now, but the fact that you said so many guys on the team were from the Metro Detroit area, 
I mean, just off the top of my head, I think I know NC State's got a lot of guys from North Carolina and the Raleigh area, and Stony Brook always has a lot of guys from the Long Island area. I think that is a a really cool thing that the ACHA has is like the ability to convince these kids like, hey, you can come play for your hometown team instead Mm -hmm. of playing for some small Division three team with a couple more years of junior hockey experience. I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think depending on where you're at, for sure, at Ohio, we, we, we would get in recruiting battles with players that had, you know, all of those guys could have played NCAA Division three when I was at Ohio. But we were really selling, you know, our culture. And then the fact that you got to go to Ohio University, right? I mean, most of the kids were from Ohio, but it's a Division One school with Division One amenities, and we had our own rink on campus. There's a lot of advantages there, and you're just selling that experience, the school experience, compared to a to a Division Three school experience. And I think there's a ton of programs in the ACHA that provide outstanding college hockey experiences that Division Three teams they just can't match it. The only thing that they have on them, honestly, is the fact that they have an NCAA logo on it. Other than that, they, they cannot provide the same experiences that many of these, these ACHA programs can provide. As you wrapped up your time at Oakland, what made you kind of walk away from the ACHA for a little bit? I, I, I love my time at Oakland. So what happened when I was at, at Oakland is, is I had my full-time job. I was working at a Medicaid HMO. I had a sales job here in a little bit, but I was always still doing the Oakland thing on the side. And at one point, I was actually living over an hour and a half away from Oakland University and commuting to practice. And it was hard, but but I loved it. I, I w- wouldn't have changed it for the world. And I never, never would miss anything because I just really, I did. I loved being there. And then over that time, what happened was I ended up becoming the youth hockey director as well. So like I had a full-time job in hockey, being the youth hockey director at the Onyx and then also coaching coaching Oakland. But I wanted to take that next step, right? I wanted to do something full-time and see if I could coach full-time. And so I started applying for some different jobs and landed in Cody, Wyoming, of, of all places, uh, coaching junior hockey because I wanted that, that experience of, of, of getting out there and, and recruiting at that level and, and trying to see if I could win at, at the junior hockey level. And I was offered an opportunity and it was a full-time. It didn't pay a ton. I mean, it hardly paid anything, but, but it was a full-time job and it was an opportunity to, to coach and you know coach for a living. And so I jumped at the opportunity. I think I owned like, you know, like a duffel bag worth of stuff at the time. So I just put it in my car and I drove to Cody, Wyoming. (laughs) So I ended up there. Any crazy experiences out in Wyoming? I'm sure there was a bunch. Oh, yeah. You know what? So the league back then was called the Frontier League. Every building that we went to, it was only a 16 league. So there there was us, the Yellowstone Quake and Cody. And then there was a team in Billings, a team in Bozeman, a team in Helena, a team in Missoula, and a team in Butte. Every for the exception of Butte, Montana, every other team was like they would pack their building. It was what people did on Friday and Saturday nights. It was an awesome experience. Like in all the towns, there's, there's nothing really to rival it. There's no professional sports or anything. So that's what people did. And then and the players were, this was back when there was, you know, much more fighting in hockey and the penalty was only five minutes and everybody had like, every guy in the team had a different way that they fought and they would spin their helmets on the ice. And it was it just a, a lot of crazy stuff. Helena was our big rival. I'll just tell the story. We darn near got in a fist fight with their coaching staff you know during one of the games it was it was like that kind of heated stuff but a ton of fun and i think again our success there really you wouldn't but if you ever talk to those players they would say the same thing like there's still a facebook page or something that they have out there about really just how tight-knit that team was and how we didn't have a ton of talent but man, the, the, those kids, again, they cared so much about each other, cared so much about, you know, winning as a group. And we were able to make, we lost in the championship game, game five of, of a five game series. But it was the first time Yellowstone had ever, ever made it that far. And again, it was because, you know, creating that culture where the players feel like they're heard and they feel like they're part of the process and they enjoy the process and they take ownership in it. And then as soon as you get it to that point, like you can really win a ton of hockey games because I've always thought like, 
I mean, the S's and O's are important to the extent, but everybody's doing the same thing. So you got to find a way to have an advantage. And if you can get guys to, to play hard all the time and love it, that, that that's your opportunity to win. Is the Frontier League, is that, I've seen the viral clip of the Zamboni driver in Bozeman. Have you seen that clip before? Oh, yeah, I used to swing in on the thing. So that was, uh, they, they had a different building when, when I got there. That was in the, the old building. Something happened to their building, I forget. It was right before I got there. But yeah, we, we saw Billings played in the uh, the Metra, and it was, yeah, I think like some weekends, it would have had like the rodeo and stuff. And then the next weekend, it had, it had hockey. And yeah, the guy would swing in and slide across the ice. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I've seen it on bar down. It makes it the rounds on social media every now and then. It was pretty crazy, man. It was a ton of fun, though. Like, so I, I did that for a year. I actually was planning on staying there for, for, for longer than that, but I ended up getting a pretty good opportunity. Yeah, as I say, you made your way back to Michigan again. Yeah, I ended up becoming like the low man on the staff at Western Michigan University with the NCAA team. But the big thing there, like what was a really good opportunity for me, is the head coach at the time was Jeff Blaschel, who's now the head coach of the Red Wings. And I just learned so much being there for a year that team just to put it in perspective so western michigan was always finishing last in the old acha or near last and in one season with the same players blash and the staff you know that team went from last to we we played in the ccha championship game and the ncaa division one national tournament for the first time it was like in 25 years or something with the same players and he did it the same way he did it by building a culture and, and, and holding players to a standard and so I really learned a lot from him and X's and O's wise too, but that was, that was a pretty incredible year as well, a learning experience. And then you got the opportunity to head down south and become the head coach at the University of Arizona. How did you end up down there? So that's another great story. So it's kind of strange how, how all these things happen. So I'll back up. So with like Western Michigan, what happened there was my buddy had just told me, he was like, hey, Blash is going to be looking for a pretty low-level assistant. Would you be interested? And I just cold-called Jeff Blaschel and was like, hey, I'm interested in doing this. Can I have an interview? And one thing led to another, I ended up getting that position. So while I was at Western, I don't know how much you know about the history of the University of Arizona, the ACHA hockey, but it was run by one guy named, named Leo Gombleski since 1977. And he ran it essentially as a LLC. So he ran it as a business. And he did it for ever. And it was a successful business because it would, for real, there was five, 6,000 people at a game. Over the course of time, something happened at the university. I'm not entirely sure what happened with the University of Arizona, but they said, you can no longer do it. This can't be operated this way. So the university took over the hockey program and rebranded it from the University of Arizona Ice Cats to the University of Arizona Wildcats with the U of A logo, which is what they have today. I was the first coach they hired. And I only found out about it through a job posting, just like anybody else would. And I applied and heard nothing. I was working at hockey camp that summer with a buddy of mine. He's like, what are you doing next year? Are you staying at Western? I was like, well, I think so, but I'd like to you know, move on and see if there's any other opportunities out there. And I applied to the University of Arizona. He goes, oh, they didn't, didn't call you? I'm kind of surprised. I was like, no. So he called at the time, Greg Powers, who's the head coach at ASU, and I didn't know Greg at the time. And Greg's like, what? Like, they didn't call him. And so he calls down to the University of Arizona. He's like, you got to interview this guy. Like, what are you guys doing? Greg Powers essentially got me the interview um, at the University of Arizona, who ended up being our like hated rival <laughs> while I was at U of A. I'm, I'm still pretty close with Greg. But he ended up getting me the interview. I got the job. And I was the, the, the first ever like full-time head coach at the University of Arizona. And I, and I don't know this for a fact, but I think I might that might have been the first time the ACHA ever had a full-time university employee head coach. I'm not entirely sure of that, but someone told me that before. 
Yeah, I was interested to see because you know we're, we're we're doing the research and trying to find as much as we can on you, and you could see that you started coaching in 2011, and then all we could really find about the U of A is that there is this whole hockey rebrand in in 2011 and how they they changed it. It basically sounds that like they were running it like a this guy was running it like a minor league hockey team, except they were under the university. That's exactly what he was doing, and the university said, "Well, we can't have this for whatever reason." They decided not to do it, and then I became head coach, and essentially we started over. That program was essentially started over at that point. Some of the same kids, some, some of what were new. And I got the job really late. So it kind of just took the kids that we had that first year. That was a tremendous experience. Like I remember being on that bench and saying to my assistant coaches, I feel like we're coaching pro hockey. Especially when we played ASU, we would sell out the TCC, which was over 6,000 people. It was a like, fantastic experience and a ton of fun. And that was predating the Roadrunners too, because at this mm-hmm. time there was no professional hockey in Tucson. Correct. Yeah, we were the we were the only show in town. Now, now that there's a huge there was a huge challenge, and there still is at the TCC because they would take the ice out for the entire month of October and the entire month of February. So the entire month of October, we played on the road. Um, we would play Arizona State, Minot State, and we would practice just like once or twice a week because there's no other ice in town. There's going to be now. They're building a new rink. It just came out this year. But there's no other ice surface in Tucson. And the closest one is over two hours away in Phoenix. So we would have to, we charter a bus, drive up there. We practice at like 10 o'clock at night during those weeks for the entire month of October and the entire month of February. So that was a huge challenge. <laughs> and they actually still do that because they have the gem show and like the roadrunners go on the road for like four weeks at a time or something. That's insane because, yeah, in the press releases talking about the the new arena, it was all, you know, how there's going to be provide more ice sheets in the city of Tucson. But I had no idea it was that bad. Someone told me this, too, that it's the largest city in the U.S. without a full time ice rink, which would make sense. I mean, I imagine that's probably true. There's a lot of challenges there, but also a ton of fun. It was treated as it was a big deal. I think it was the third biggest draw on campus behind football and basketball. Then it was Arizona. And so what was it like going up year after year against Greg Powers and, you know, in Arizona State team that was eventually going to go Division One after you left. <laughs> oh, we should have brought him on, man. I should have called him. We'll bring him in. We had him on a, a couple months ago, and he was a great interview. Yeah, he's good, man. So he, uh, the very first weekend we ever played him under the new Wildcats logo, we went to overtime and we we lost in overtime. Um, so I was like, okay, we're we're, we're trying in the right direction, and then we lost thirty straight games to him. And we played them eight times a year. So the, the schedule for U of A was extremely difficult. We played Minot four times, Arizona State eight times a year, Liberty four times. So we, we always had a really hard schedule because there's nobody else to play, right? You can't just bring in local teams. And the teams that can really afford to go to Arizona are like the best teams. You know, we always had, had, a, had a daunting schedule. But we beat them my last year at Arizona, and they were the number one team in the country. We beat Minot and, and Arizona State when they were number one that my last year. And we beat them uh, two to one, and they completely out you know outshot us. We scored. We had a five on three at the end of the second that we didn't score. We had about a minute left on it to start the third, and we scored. And then we just hung on by the skin of our teeth for 19 minutes. And one, and one two to one. I think I think I, I I darn near cried. Like Greg came up to me, gave me a big hug. I was like, I could because you know we played eight times a year, and it's a huge rivalry, and people pay attention to it down there. Like it, you know, eight times a year for for three years. Maybe it was it was 23 times or whatever it was that we lost to him in a row. But I think the overall record was like. It was like 30-something times, 36 times in a row that they had, they had lost to them. Because it predated me. and But we beat them, man. It was fantastic. They had enough talent back then to be like an NCAA. I have – this This is my opinion, right? So my opinion is that – I don't know if I should say this, but I think the ACHA was at its height in terms of like level of play from about 2010 or 11 to like 
maybe like now-ish, you know what I mean? Like it was getting really, really good back then. And there was like countless North American League players on, on every roster on, on the top teams. And Greg had, on those teams, had like six or seven USHL players. And it was, so it was, they were becoming really, really good. Did I think they are going Division One? I, I don't, I don't think I ever thought that. And I don't think Greg did either. A lot of things had to, had to fall into place for, for that to happen. Somebody had to come forward with a lot of money. But um, they were a phenomenal team. But the, the, how good the ACHA was back then, like, they didn't win every national championship. They they won one. They, they lost. You know, they lost to Oakland one year. They, they lost to somebody else, too. Um, but they didn't win it every year. It was just, I remember going to those games. And we had a pretty good roster, too, by my third year at Arizona. But I remember thinking, like, my God, man, how are we ever going to catch up to these guys? Like, I brought in, you know, four North American League players. I felt really good. And he brought in six USHLers and, you know, 10 North American League guys. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> you know? But it was a lot of fun, for sure. One last note, how competitive the ACHA was back then. In their final year before going NCAA, they didn't even make the ACHA finals. I believe they got upset by Stony Brook in the semis. Yeah, Stone, and, that's, and Stony Brook had phenomenal teams back then, too. They had should have did some research before I hopped on. They had two kids who played for us when we went to the World University Games, Chris Joseph, who was like, you know, playing in the ECHL. There was so much talent across the board of across like 15 teams that I just remember thinking, man, this has become so good compared to what it was like when I first got into it and started coaching to what it was then. I, I brag about the ACHL all the time. I think it's completely under the radar for most people. And then you make the jump to Ohio. You called it home for five years, captured the team's first CSCHL title since 09, and then you got your master's in 2016. Tell us all about your Ohio experience. Well, I, I loved coaching Ohio. Like I, I took great pride in being you know, the head coach of, of Ohio hockey. And really, the way I viewed it, too, was like the curator of, of Ohio hockey, like the history of, of Ohio hockey, too, because I think that's undervalued. I don't know. If, even on campus, I wasn't sure. I don't know if everybody really fully realized you know, hockey had been there since 1958. It was an NCAA Division One team for, for years. Wisconsin, Notre Dame, University of Michigan had, had all come to Bird Arena, which if you've ever been in Bird Arena, it's hard to imagine that those teams were there at one point. Like, I took great pride in, in the history of it, and I thought it was extremely important to hold that standard, right? The guys that coached there before me, you know, Dan Morris and, and Craig McCarthy, won national championships. Craig McCarthy won four in a row at one point. So I was just really honored to, to be able to have that job and I thought it was really important to, to, to maintain that standard and, and to get an understanding of that history so the five years were, were fantastic my last year was probably the most difficult one just because it was so many life changes for me with, with, with my son being born and then my wife got a job in Michigan halfway through the season it wasn't difficult to the point where I didn't like it but it was a, a huge honor to, to be the head coach of that program the only regret I have is that we lost that national championship game like we should have won that I also won a national championship when we were out outshot forty to twenty. That this time we outshot them, UCO forty to twenty, and we and we lost. So I guess it evened out. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that twenty seventeen season, though. Like, mm -hmm. did you guys know going into the year that you guys had the talent to make a pretty deep run? I haven't told a lot of people this, but so after my second year at Ohio, I was offered an NCAA Division three head coaching job. It was a new new team, and I just wasn't sure that a that's where I wanted to live and, and, and do that. And I ended up coming back to Ohio after the interview, talking to my my boss at the time, Mark Ferguson, and, and I knew like we had we were gonna be really good. Like I knew what we had coming in. That was like Herman. That was like Harkins freshman year and Gianni's freshman year and Heekins and all these guys were coming in. And I was like, man, we are gonna be good. We have a, ch a chance to win this whole thing. And I remember driving back 
there's a road called 33. David knows this. And coming around the bend there, and then you can see campus, right? You can see Bird Arena. You can see the, the convo. You can see the whole, the river. And I was like, man, I don't want to leave. What am I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? So I made a decision kind of there that, that I wasn't going to go do that. I was going to stay at Ohio. Um, I'm glad I did. Um, but man, that, that, like that year, as talented as we were, we lost the CSCHL final in overtime and we lost the the national championship game we, we in my opinion we probably should have been champions and in, in all the ways that you could be that year but we just fell just short in both games i, I felt that we deserved to win like we played well i'm gonna go on a tangent here but so that national championship game versus ucl i knew early like i could always tell with that team that year like we we would get on momentum swings and i could tell if we started well we were gonna you know blow the team out but if it got if it was close and if we weren't and things weren't going our way we, we had a chance to like not play our best game early in that game um we have a two-on-one with patrick spellacy and liam gaither and it's a, going away from us it's in columbus it's like going away from the bench now i'm like oh this is we have a great opportunity here and spelly passes it right across and liam deeks the goes to his back he's right-handed shot goes to his backhand the goalie completely beat a wide open net and somehow misses the net right and i'm like oh no (laughs) i knew at that point i was like ah that didn't go in like this is going to be a harder this is going to be a kind of a grind it out muck it out game and their goalie stood on his head man he made a ton of saves we hit a bunch of crossbars they scored a goal with like a minute left in the first and a minute left in the second and to put us down two nothing going to the third we just could not buy a goal that's what I remember about about that. I can I can pretty much you know replay that whole game. And it was it was at, at Columbus, right? It was where the Columbus Blue Jackets played. It was basically a home game for us, and it was packed. And it was just packed to the gills with, with Ohio fans. If that goal goes in, I think you know it goes this banana lands in there. We we had to buy buy a few goals, but that's not what shook out. <laughs> Obviously, the audio listeners couldn't see my reaction on that one, but I pretty much had war flashbacks because that was the first time since like sophomore year that anyone has like vividly retold that story. And I permanently have that backhand miss like burned into my brain. Yeah, I remember like distinctly, like I couldn't believe it didn't go in. Like, because I, I remember like, I'm like, put my hands up. I'm like, all right, what? They didn't go in? <laughs> what? I had a perfect view of it i remember being on like the left hand side of the stands and like looking straight down at it and i think one of the post photographers got a photo of it too i want to jump back a little bit because you you kind of alluded to it in the beginning about curating ohio history but you're not really diving into what it specifically was that you did which was create probably one of the deepest record books for a team like in a single-handed effort not discounting the the work of alumni that contributed the work that went into this when i saw it was so ridiculous decades of scores rosters everything you kind of self-identified as an acha nerd at the top of the program we had our conversation that this record book was what ultimately inspired the acha almanac which is really really cool for me and i know murph additionally self-identifies as that ACHA nerd. Just fun stuff all around in terms of developing that program overall. Yeah, you know, I appreciate that. One of the things that I did when I first got there was we there was just stacks. I had known about Ohio hockey in the history because we find things on the internet and find old articles. and I was just really interested in it. So it was kind of a passion project. I never felt like it was like like I was working when I was doing that. But that's so why I would do a lot of it in the off seasons and in the, in the summers. And there were stacks and stacks of 
you know, old school game sheets and, and game programs. And I was like, well, we need to organize this, man. We, this needs to be so, so people can see. And part of it, for selfish reasons too, part of it was I wanted to be able to create something so the university could see what they had in this hockey program, one. And and two, you, you know, I wanted the, the, the alumni to be able to, so I, like I have a son now, right? So I want to be able to when I'm older, and, and my daughter to go to some place wherever I I own it and say, hey, look, I, I played here. Here's here's my name on this list. Here's what I did. And Ohio didn't have anything available like that. There was nothing for the hockey program or these guys that played in the city, even the guys that played NCAA Division One. There was no record keeping up. They couldn't show their kids or their grandkids that look, I played here. Here's my team photo. And I was like, why haven't we done this? So that's what I did. It, it took forever. I mean, it's still not complete, as you know. It was. To, you know, all five years I was there, we were always contributing to it and, and trying to make it better. But really, at the end of the day, that's what inspired it is. I just want to be able to have something where, you know, our alumni could could look at it and be like, this is what we have. And, it, and it's important to keep records, right? It's, it's important to have, have that stuff available so people can have uh, past historical reference. So that's why I did it. And, and I still go back and look at it. Actually, I update it sometimes still to this day because I come across something. So I thought that stuff was important. And I think it's important for all ACHA teams to have it. That's one thing. The, if, if I have a critique of the ACHA, it's the, the lack of record keeping, the lack of uh, standardization of, of how they how they keep those records. Because there are some amazing stories in the ACHA. There are some truly amazing stories of players that wouldn't have gone on and played in, you know, the AHL or the ECHL or whatever, and we just haven't been able to standardize that yet. Talking about how, you know, you were looking back and, and wanted there to be all that record of the history of Ohio hockey, I can't help but notice um, the big 60th celebration that you were part of for Ohio hockey because you guys had played Syracuse a couple times, and by the time I was a freshman, Syracuse hockey was doing a big 60th celebration. So I'd have to assume that there was some um, influence from the trip to Ohio. I, I mean, how important was that? Because I know you guys went back to a little throwback jersey design too and, and had the patches made as well. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that we, we wanted to create, you know, was we really wanted to have – the alumni, you know, be valued and, and be welcomed back. And that was a huge success. Like, I think we had over 200 former players come back for, for that weekend for the alumni dinner and the, and the hall of fame dinner. And it was big enough to where, you know, the deans of the colleges were coming and the president recognized it. And, you know, I was really proud of that. I was really proud that we were able to bring back all these guys. We honored guys that played in, into the hall of fame. They were there in 1960 um, and they have great stories, and they're they're very passionate about about Ohio hockey. And that was a, that was a huge project that 60th uh, anniversary, but we pulled it off. And uh, actually, I don't think it could have gone any better. It was I don't remember the games that weekend. I remember being stressed out about all the events that we had. <laughs> I don't remember the, remember the, who we who we played that weekend, but we definitely had a, had a bunch of events that, that album. No, I do think that as someone who has benefited from that kind of thing here at Syracuse, I do think it's really important for not only the players on the team to understand the history behind the program that they're playing for, but also to show the university, like, hey, there's this thing on campus, and it's been going long on for a really long time. It's been really successful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And depending on where, where the ACHA program is, I mean, it has changed a ton. There are, there's, a, there's a ton of schools now that are adding it through through their athletic department. So, so that's much different. But there is, there's a ton of ACHA programs with a ton of history that are completely undervalued by their universities. Um, and Ohio was like that at one point. It's not like that now. And it wasn't like that when I was there. But there was a time that, that it was undervalued. Um, Anytime that you can bring back that many alumni and that many people that care care about the program opens a lot of eyes uh, on campus. You had mentioned how crazy that final year 
for you was at Ohio, just off the ice? What kind of led you to your decision to your current job? Well, <laughs> I'll be honest, what happened was I would have stayed at Ohio forever. Like I, I loved it. We, we still miss Athens. We miss the people. I think that's one of the greatest things about Ohio University, people involved there. Like I miss Bird Arena. I miss, I miss Ohio hockey. I still follow it. I miss Friday and Saturday nights at Bird for sure. But so what happened though was my son was born, like I said, the, the first week and my wife was on maternity leave. She worked in the athletic department at, at Ohio University. And then she was approached with a great opportunity at Michigan State University. And that's where I'm, obviously I went to school there and I'm from Michigan. And it wasn't an opportunity that we could really turn down. So that's that's really what happened was she got the job opportunity in January. And what made that year difficult on me personally, it was just, the kids were fantastic. They, you know, we, we had a great team. What personally made it hard was that my newborn son and my wife were living in Michigan. And I was in Ohio still. I, I would commute back and forth. Like I would dr- drive quite a bit. So so that stuff, whatever. It was her opportunity that, that, that got the job. And then I came behind and then I just had to find a job. And I got lucky that this, this opened up and I interviewed for it and got it. Um, I didn't necessarily pursue it and move for my job, but she got a really outstanding opportunity at Michigan State. So otherwise we'd probably still be Bobcats. <laughs> and speaking of, we talked about it at the beginning before recording. Just like Poco's episode, I went around with some former Bobcats and gathered some questions. All right, let's kick this one off. Uh, <laughs> who is your favorite arena voice? Oh, that's he. Yeah, Jake. Yeah, Jake, Jake Jehu is that, are you kidding me? Like he was, and, and I'm sorry to see that, that he's leaving. That's that's a huge blow to the um, to the hockey program there. I think he was, when it came to, the, you know, Ohio hockey and Bird Arena and his welcome to the ice hero, your Ohio Bobcats. I mean, everybody lo- loved that. And then, he, you know, he became pretty witty there in the last few years too. <laughs> you know, his, his PA announcing, I think, some you know, turned some people off on the away team. But I think that's also part of just the, the charm of, of, of Bird Arena was Jake. Like he was, yeah, there's nobody better than him. For sure. Give us a line. What was one of your, other other than the welcome to the ICR Ohio Bobcats? What was one of his best lines? Oh, he'd always. Anytime our guys got a penalty, it would be allegedly Tyler Harkins. You know, penalty for tripping. Allegedly, he's <laughs> like, it was great, <laughs> and he cheered like the whole game. Like it was because he was up up above us, so we could hear him, and he'd give us the the, the come on boys, get your head out of your asses. He'd, oh, you know, I swore there. Sorry, but that's what he used to say. <laughs> How does life after coaching shift your perspective on college hockey and the state of college athletes at big schools and at small to mid-sized universities? That's a good question. So the one thing for sure, if I get not, like the perspective that's changed for, for me personally is that if I, if I have a chance to do it again, I will not sweat the small stuff. Being away from the game, you, you start to like, you know, evaluate and you, and you look back. I, I don't have any regrets or anything, but I, I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sweat the small, I wouldn't not nearly be as stressed out as I probably, as I was sometimes when I was coaching. Cause I, I would have just, it's just perspective, right? I have more different perspective now. My, my view on the ACHA, you know, in terms of college hockey in general, I still take great pride in the ACHA in my, my current role. I, I speak about it as often and, and give it praise as often as I can as an opportunity uh, for young players. I really emphasize, you know, if you're, if you're not an NCAA division one player and you're looking at division three or, or the ACHA, really take a hard look at the ACHA, really take a hard look at those schools, really take a hard look at the opportunities that they provide, the schedule that they provide, the places you can go, the opportunities with the World University Games and, and, and USA Hockey, which isn't provided uh, at the NCAA Division three level. And from just a strictly hockey pr- perspective, I mean, depending on where you're at, you're, you're going to play more games, you get, you get on the ice more and 
all, all sorts of uh, different opportunities. So in the, in the global view of college hockey, um, in my current role at College Hockey Inc., I can say that that in spite of COVID and, and the challenges that that's caused everyone, right? Like you've probably seen that, you know, there's professional sports teams have been shutting down. Some sports have been dropped at universities. College hockey continues to grow. And I'm confident to say that next year we'll have more teams than this year. And the year after that, we'll have more teams at the NCAA Division One level. We'll have more teams than next year. So that is something to look forward to for sure, uh, that, that, that hockey is growing and, and Division One opportunities are going to grow as well. Speaking of those college athletes, would you encourage your kids to play college sports? Oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Like, I'm going to encourage my son and daughter to be multi-sport athletes and, you know, strive to, to have success on the field, if that's what they want, if they, if they have a, a passion and a desire for it, which I imagine it'd be hard for them not to because I, I work in athletics and so does my wife and we're both. I keep using the word passion, but like we're, you know, I'm extremely passionate about college hockey and the opportunities that it provides. So, yeah, absolutely. So we'll start with youth youth sports and see what develops. And if that's all it is, is youth sports, that's great too, because I think it provides structure as, as well as being able to to fight through adversity. And um, I think team sports do that for sure. Now let's go for a curveball question here. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's talk about Mike Guggen's bright yellow cutoff on the way to nationals in the airport. I don't really remember that. <laughs> I don't remember it either, but <laughs> we got Mike a question about it. Bright yellow cutoff shirt? I don't remember that at all. I couldn't I couldn't tell you. Look, it came in, in the question. I don't I talked to Mike quite a bit, so just for the audience, Mike Guggen was a, a graduate assistant coach for me my last year at Ohio. Spent two years at Lake Superior State as the hockey ops guy. Now he's the director of hockey operations for St. Lawrence. So he's doing really well, uh, successful hockey career for sure he loves ohio as well he met met his wife at buffalo wild rings there in uh in athens ohio so i don't remember the yellow the yellow cutoff shirt like i honestly don't if i saw it i probably wouldn't have liked it (laughs) it doesn't sound like something that doesn't sound like something i would have liked (laughs) that segues perfectly into the next question which is ask sean if the athens b-dubs will survive the one-two punch of losing sean hogan and being afflicted by the covid19 ponderosa Oh man, that was like so. That was like the rule, right? Like for those of you who haven't been to Athens, it's unbelievable college town. But it's, it was, that's what it is. It's a small college town. So basically, the rule was, you know, the team and the guys have all of Athens, and I, I get to go to. I get to go there, and you can leave me alone there. <laughs> that's how that shook out. <laughs> and one last crowdsource question: Your pitch for each school that you've been at so far at an ACHA level. Um, so Ohio and Arizona were, were, were very similar. When we were talking talking to recruits that had NCAA D- Division three aspirations, it was part of it was everybody's paying in the ACHA to go to school, right? There's no athletic scholarships. There's no athletic scholarships in NCAA Division three. So we would, you know, outside of the cost of going to the different universities and measuring that, you know, both schools there, I would talk about how they're NCAA D- D- Division one campuses. So we have NCAA Division one sports. Both had outstanding facilities in terms of being their own facilities and that we were the number one you know, hockey team on campus. Uh, we were treated as such. You'll be treated as, as a varsity athlete, especially at Ohio. We had the same strength and conditioning coaches as football and basketball. We utilized those strength and conditioning facilities, practiced every, every, every single day. So if hockey was important to this person, and I wanted it to be. It didn't have to be be, be all end all, but I wanted hockey and winning to be important. Those things matter to players to have an opportunity to get better and have an opportunity to develop. But really, I would have them meet with 
the players on the team and have them get to know our, our culture. And that's what we did at Oakland a lot because Oakland was, it, it was not a big school. It was a commuter school. So it's a little bit of a different sell. And we were selling local kids there. Um, but at the end of the day, it was, I want you to, to meet the players and, and talk to the players, see what they have to say. Because I can I can sell it to you until I'm blue in the face, but you need to, to get the, what do the players think of their experience? And that's what I, I would want them to do. I would go talk to the players and, and get a feel for our culture and, and what we're about. And if they're truly enjoying the process, um, you'll know. And if they're not enjoying the process, kids don't lie. You know, kids, kids tell the truth. And so get, get a feel for it. And we were pretty successful in, you know, landing the guys that, that we wanted for the most part at, at both places. Very rarely did a guy call me and be like, no, I don't want to go to Arizona or no, I don't want to go to Ohio. Really, but, but by the end, by, by my third year at Ohio, we got that to the point where we were fielding calls at Ohio. My first couple of years, we were still trying to get them in, trying to get them in. And then we got that really good uh, recruiting class my, my third year that took us to the national championship game. But we were fielding those calls. Like guys were like, I want to come to Ohio. So we got to the point where we built the reputation and built the culture where like good Ohio players and Western PA kids were like, I want to go to Ohio. So we were able to build it to that point. We didn't have to like grind the phones by my third, fourth, and fifth year at Ohio by any means. Sean, once again, thanks for coming on. Like we said, great ACHA resume. Uh, I think you've gotten to see kind of both sides of the ACHA, whether it's from a, a place where the, you know it's an unpaid and you're, you're kind of building it as a side gig or whether it's Arizona or Ohio and you're the main show in town. So once again, thank you for coming on and joining us. I loved it. You guys do a great job. And the more that we can promote the ACHA and just the different stories that, that people can tell in the, in the different places. And I'm certainly going to, like I do, it sounds ridiculous, but but I miss going on the 14, 14 hour bus ride from Athens to Ames, Iowa to play Iowa State. Or I miss going to Liberty and like put, and playing in, the, in that in that barn. Like I still follow the scores every Friday and Saturday night and still text with, with coaches all the time and be like, hey man, I want to find a team up here somewhere in Michigan we're going we're to come down and play, <laughs> you know, because I do. I miss it for sure. And I, I appreciate you guys having me on. I did want to say this, David, you did a tremendous job at Ohio. I think you, you next leveled like all that social media stuff that we didn't have a presence for before. So you did an unbelievable job with that. And you should take a lot of credit for like elevating to where it is now, where they actually have somebody there that like is dedicated to that because we didn't have that. And you were persistent about it and kept telling me how important it was. And you were a hundred percent right. So, uh, you were right. <laughs> man, I'm going to cry. This was supposed to be a quick wrap up. This isn't supposed to. <laughs> no, you did a great job, man. I was super pumped about it. So you did a great job. That's why we have him on our team now. Yeah, he does. He did great work, man. It was it next leveled what we had there for sure because it was not existent before David got there. So it was awesome. And I remember him like, so he would early on, he'd be like, can I go on the road trip? I was like, no, man, we have like no money. Like, and by the end, I was like, you have to come because there's, we need to have this stuff out there. So it was, it was great stuff. Once again, thank you to Coach Hogan for joining us this week on the Hockey House. Like I said, great insight about what it takes to be a national champion here in the ACHA. And hopefully that's some motivation for guys as they prepare for their trips to St. Louis coming up here. That interview was presented by Optimex Sports. Optimex Sports provides teams the opportunity to build and manage their own website. The best part, your first year is free. Be sure to check them out using the link in our bio. And if you're interested in signing up, be sure to use our referral link at OptimexSports.com slash sign up slash hockey house pod these guys are legit 
I got off the phone with with a friend in the ACHA yesterday talking to them about how OptumX is the real deal. This is not uh, a typical, we're just doing this uh, for the advertisement and a marketing campaign. We really stand by these guys and know what they're doing and love what they're doing for the ACHA and we fully support them. So um, as your seasons start to wind down, you got to start thinking about next season and make sure your website is looking good and professional and they are the guys for it. So be sure to check them out at OptumXSports.com. Dot com. We got a blowout of the week here, and it's funny because I had actually had it in my notes for, for the opposite reason. What do we have in Division One? Pretty wild blowout of the week this week. Adrian College Division One team defeats Eastern Michigan Division One team 16-2. to two. That's an absolutely crazy scoreline. And a quick little honorable mention for UPenn. They were in two other major blowouts. Their Division Two men's team defeated Stockton's Division Two men's team 12 to nothing. The Lady Quakers were not as fortunate, falling to Rowan's Division two team 10 to nothing we received a shout out for eastern michigan for holding adrian to 70 shots this weekend i mean no surprise adrian is is like a tornado they have just destroyed everyone in their path this semester only ranked at at six right now heading into the national tournament so that'll be something to watch out for the defending champs would like to see them get tested before uh, they head off to nationals and so hopefully that that happens in their conference tournament here coming up didn't want to do a game of the week or some games to watch this weekend because there's so much playoff action especially in division two uh where we're going to keep an eye on and get to here in a moment but any games this week that you want us to check out obviously we got a lot scheduled for thursday and friday night but then after that it's it's going to be some really good matchups coming in on saturday and sunday so be sure to retweet them you know share them on instagram tag us because we want to see them we want to cover some of these matchups so if you have anything or see anything be sure to to send it our way but Uh, What we do have noted is we have the CSCHL playoffs coming up this weekend. And the big question here is, can anyone beat Lindenwood, another team um, that has kind of been in the driver's seat all year, ranked number one in almost all the rankings? Can anyone challenge them? We got Iowa State at number three and, you know, Ohio and Illinois are also in there could challenge them. So we'll see what happens this weekend in the CSCHL playoffs. Um, Another playoff tournament to look at, we have the Neshel, the NECHL, Niagara is hosting this year. That'll be this weekend. Another team to watch out for and in that tournament will be Oswego. Oswego and Niagara met in the 2020 finals, came down to the wire. So look to look to see those teams have a rematch maybe this weekend at, at Dwyer Arena in Lewiston, New York. But the real thing, like I mentioned, is, is the Division II regionals, which are going to kick off Thursday, even though this pod is is dropping on Friday. Um, so by now, some teams will, be, will have been eliminated. But I want to first start out in the Central Region. Boys, are there any teams that stand out to you looking at this? Maybe some familiar teams for um, Fitz looking at the the central region bracket with two teams eventually moving on to the national tournament this weekend. The two teams that jump out at me the most would be Trine and Michigan State. My brother wouldn't like to hear me talking about Michigan State, but I think they have a really good squad. They were always a tough team to play against when I was playing against them. Uh, Same thing with Trine. I think it was called the I-69 Cup. We'd go down there to play them each year with Indiana. Just two really, really gritty teams. So those are the two I'm looking at. And then Glick, anything that that jumps out to you looking at the bracket? So I don't really know much about Central ACHA hockey, but I do have a buddy on the uh, Michigan 
Michigan State team, so I'm going to be rooting for them. And they also had those really sick agriculture jerseys, which I really loved. So shout out to the Spartans. Yeah, they had the agriculture jerseys, and uh, they also had those jerseys when they went down to Florida and played Florida Gulf Coast. I think another team to watch out for is uh, number four, Minnesota. They gave you, Mary, a hard time early in the year. Number 11, Marquette, has had a really good year, so watch out for them. Um, and number five, I think Marion, only team we haven't touched on yet, is the host. They went to the, the D2 tournament last year, so maybe they'll use some of that experience going into the regional here. Next up, we'll head to the southeast region. The two auto bids in this tournament are Florida Gulf Coast and Liberty. So I think the team to beat certainly in this region is number three NC State who is coming off a huge weekend. A lot of important games as of recently and then the question is can the Ice Pack keep it up heading into the regionals and they're going to have to claw their way through this bracket. Any teams that jump out to you guys? I'll throw it to Fitz first. I I disagree Murph. I think the team to beat is the Hoosiers. (laughs) But uh Obviously, I'm uh, I'm biased rooting for the Hoosiers. My boys back to to Miami. They they have a really good team. They know how to play the game. They work hard. They're well coached. So I think Miami is definitely a team to look out for. This is going to be a, a really exciting region, and and not to discredit the Central region, but maybe I just don't know as much about those teams out west. This is going to be really exciting. Uh, you know, I I've been following Kentucky for a while too. That's another team in the TSCHL. So I think this is going to come come down to the wire. I mean, Ohio. State is at number 10 seed too. That's a tough team to play as well. Glick, any teams we haven't mentioned that you'd like to see, you know, maybe bring home the Southeast regional title? I'd have to say Rowan University. I mean, that's a local team and I know that they kind of have built a name in the past year or two of just being a really solid Division II program out here in New Jersey slash PA area. I forgot we got Penn State hiding in there too. Another another great program. Yeah, I know. it's crazy to think that only two teams from this this region are going to nationals, which is, is crazy. Like, like we said, two teams have already clinched it, Florida Gulf Coast and Liberty, and then two more from this region will, will head to St. Louis. So keep an eye on the Southeast Regional. Heading out West, the West region was clinched by U Mary in Dakota College at Botno. The huge storyline is this one is BYU, uh, the number 10 seed here. We talked about it over the summer, but this is their final year using the BYU name and, and logo. So you want you definitely know that they want to go on a Cinderella run here. 10 seed, they're going to have a lot of work cut out for them. Uh, They're going to face off against Arizona State in the first round. Two teams we're pretty familiar with, two are facing each other in the first round. Number 13, Texas A&M. It's going to take on number eight, Oregon. Keep an eye out for that one. You guys seeing anything else here? I just have to say UCLA. I mean, they have a Zegras on the team. They are pretty good at hockey, I would have to say. At least the guy in the NHL is. (laughs) Yeah, and and Fitz, anything stand out to you? Just can't go against the uh, the Oregon guys with their uh, nasty jerseys. Especially with them making the jump to Division I next year. It'd be cool to see them go on a run. I don't the number three team is listed as UP. What do you guys think that stands for? We're going to the schedule here, scavenging through the ACHA page here. Oh, Providence. University of Providence. Providence, yeah. Yeah, we got to touch on them. They always give you Mary a run for their money too, and they certainly did last year during the, the tournament. They're not afraid of, of you, a you Mary team that I could see them definitely playing in nationals, so I wouldn't count out Providence either, the, the Argos. So that's the West Regional bracket, and then finally we'll finish up with the Northeast Regional. This is going on. Keene State is hosting it in Keene, New Hampshire. UMass in Northeastern already clinched spots from this region, and you got Keene State at number three, followed by Boston College at four, UNH at 
five. What, what do we think here, guys? I know this was kind of a, a hard bracket to navigate with some of these teams here, but anything that stand out to you guys from the New England teams? Yeah, well, betting on a team with the initials UNH is pretty good bet considering there's two of them. I don't even think, like, do we know if University of New Hampshire, University of New Haven, New Haven is five or six? Or is that just up in the air? Yeah, we've got, let's see. University of New Hampshire is five. Oh, yeah. no, they met. Okay, they messed up the bracket. Six is RPI. That's what I thought. Okay, so six is RPI. They're, they're a solid team. Uh, I got some buddies uh, on number eight, Sacred Heart, so I'd watch out for them. My brother's at Merrimack College, too. They're at 12 as well. So this is a region that is really up for grabs. Bryant University, too. And we talked about number nine, Army, as well on the last podcast. So I would say kind of like the Southeast region, a huge toss-up here. But I know I was saying it a couple weeks ago, but I really love the D2 format where the top seeds get the auto bids to nationals and everybody else just kind of dukes it out in regionals. You kind of go have to go on a run similar to March Madness in order to get a national title. So I, I think it's the most exciting of the tournaments. I don't know what, what, you, what you guys think. Are they able to do that just because they they have more teams in the D2 level? I believe so. More teams, and it's it's easier to do because there's more teams in, in those areas. Like New England is scattered with teams. The Southeast is scattered with teams. It works out for them. And then they go to nationals and they do the pool play. So you kind of get, you don't have to go full throttle. You can lose a game, but it does put you in a tougher situation. But, you know, I, I think it makes for, for some good competition. It also takes all the confusion out because the Division One nationals, it's really confusing, I feel, just the way it's been explained about which teams are in, which teams are out. Some teams have to see what other teams are doing in other conferences. Others, you know, they just kind of automatically go there. It's simple. Division two, top two teams go. Everyone else just plays regionals. Yeah, no, it's funny you, you bring up the Division one tournament because I have that right next on, on the bullet points here. On Tuesday, the Division one committee announced the 20 teams that were going to head to nationals. And as we mentioned before, there were some spoilers there. The CSCHL leads the way with four representatives from the tournament. Illinois, Iowa State, Lindenwood, and Ohio are all in. WCHL has four teams as well. Arizona, Central, Oklahoma, Missouri State, and UNLV. Three independent teams will go to St. Louis. We have Jamestown, Liberty, and Minot, and then two teams from the CHMA, John Carroll, uh, the recent addition, and Pitt. From the WAC conference, we have Indiana Tech and Dearborn. Dearborn just snuck in. They were a bubble team. Five conferences will have one representative from the ECHA. We have Navy from the Eshel. We have Stony Brook from the GLCHL. We have Adrian from the MCH. We have Maryville. And then rounding out the field, we have Niagara from the National Tournament. But I think our predictions from last week are pretty spot on. We had uh, a couple of bubble teams. Arizona was a bubble team that got in. Dearborn was a bubble team that got in. Teams that missed the cut, number 17, Aquinas. And then heading into the weekend, URI, Delaware, Lawrence Tech all kind of needed to win their conference to get in. And by default, we kind of knew that Utah, Arizona State, and Midland would not get in um, without those conference auto bids. So I don't know. We got a lot of feedback today on, on social media about you know the process. I think a lot of the, the teams in the top 20 think that there should not be auto bids. And those teams that get the auto bids think there should be auto bids. So at the end of the day, no one's going to be happy. No, you're not going to please everyone. But I, I don't really know what the answer is. I think certainly those teams 
in the top 10 deserve to be there. Um, I, I like the idea of of auto bids just because it, it gives you something to play for in the playoffs. I think without the auto bids, you know, playoffs might not be as competitive. But like like you mentioned, I think the D2 system is down to a T. I really like that. Glick, any thoughts on, on the tournament field as, as a D1 guy looking at it when you saw the 20 teams that were released? Yeah, I mean, it's a tournament filled with talent. I haven't had a chance to really play a lot of these teams. The only teams I have played is Navy and Pitt, but those are two really good teams. I think it's definitely going to be a very exciting tournament for sure. Yeah, those are two teams that are, are playing each other in the first round with 13 Pitt against 20 Navy. Something to keep an eye out for. Uh, we could have a potential quarterfinal matchup between UNLV and Liberty. Uh, they're on the same side of the bracket, so that could be interesting. Yeah, 8 Stony Brook versus 9 Jamestown. Uh, those those are good matchups. And then 15 Ohio taking on number 18 Niagara. Niagara swept the Bobcats earlier in the year. And these two teams were supposed to play each other in the 2020 national tournament. So it, it, that should be an exciting matchup. And I'm sure um, those teams are both looking forward to it. All in all, I think it'll be an exciting, exciting tournament. The other thing is that, like, I don't think any of these teams with the, you know, I can't really, I don't want to say it, but I think Delaware, I, I thought that was a team that got snubbed, a team that I played against multiple times. I thought they were right up there with Stony Brook. Um, I can't really vouch for the other teams that got snubbed, but, you know, my thought process is if, if you legitimately have a chance to win the national title and you don't make it, then I think that's a snub. But if you're not really in the, in the picture, if you're not really competing with those teams in the top 10 who are legitimate title contenders, I'm not sure if it's that big of a deal. Heading into Division 3, that bracket was released today as time of recording it was released to the coaches in the clubs but it has not been made public yet teams we know that have made it are central michigan dartmouth new mexico saginaw valley state and grand valley state 16 teams will qualify so that's five of them right there in the division two women's tournament the naval academy and boston college both clinched spots in the national tournament with conference auto bids um, i'm not quite sure if the rest of the field has been determined yet pretty exciting stuff it's, it's amazing uh guys how how we've been doing this for so long and you know, last year we were like scratching and clawing for content. And uh, every week it seems like we're, we're missing stuff because there's just so much. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but it makes makes it much more fun to cover it when we can just kind of go on for days about it. Yeah, it's definitely a good problem to have. I remember last year we were like struggling to figure out what to talk about. Now we have the opposite issue where we got to almost cut what we want to talk about. This is in your neck of the woods in the Big Ten, Fitzy, but some controversy in college basketball. I know this isn't a college basketball podcast, but I think it's pretty relevant here. Michigan coach Juwan Howard got into it. Some members of the Wisconsin coaching staff in, in a post-game handshake line. The clip I saw was Tom Izzo from Michigan State was interviewed about it, and I thought he had some really good comments because people were talking about, you know, is it really worth it to do the handshake line in sports? And uh, he had a really good take on it, and... Um, just kind of mentioning that it's necessary. Like when you lose, you should have to shake the other guy's hand. It's a teaching moment. Give your opponent credit for the victory and move on from that. There was some couple times this season where Herm and I were, were chatting after a Syracuse game, you know, some tough losses. And I think there was one, I think it was against Westchester, but there was kind of a, a scrum at the end of the game. And then you go to the handshake line and there were some words being said. And, and Herm asked me about it. And my take is just like, I'm a big, like the game is over when the buzzer goes off. Like go over there and shake the opponent's hand. Like nothing you say or do in the handshake line is going to change the outcome of the game. I've always lived by that. Like you shake the you shake the opponent's hand. Like if there's anybody on the team who deserves like extra praise, like that's the time you can give it. Other than that, like nothing you say in the handshake line is going to 
do anything other than make you just kind of look like like a jackass, frankly. But I wanted to get your takes on it. And if you guys have any opinions on the handshake line, it's one of the more special things about the game of hockey. And I'm sure we'll see plenty of handshake lines as we get down into these playoff games in the national tournament. But Fitzy, I'll give you the chance to chime in here. Yeah, I completely agree with with your take. I think it's it's pretty childish of guys when they try to start something and you know after after the game's over I know I you know take my glove off and I'm gonna give you a firm handshake so you know usually if they're they're coming and they're gonna gonna hit you at, at that level everybody's got cages on so it's like you know I'm not ready to start throwing with my bare hand at your cage and it's not a good look for for anyone that you know starts that kind of stuff like you said there, there's no reason for it the game's over you show your respect and it's a, a really sacred part of hockey so I think it's something that should be taught you know at a younger level it's you know you shake the hands and the game's over. You respect your opponent and, and you move on. Yeah, I, I was talking to my dad about it, actually, because I sent him the clip because he's a youth hockey coach. He loves that kind of stuff. But he mentioned like, you know, the, the amount of kids that go through the handshake line and just like instead of shaking hands, they're like punching their way through the handshake line. And like, you know, maybe it's not that big of a deal when you're nine years old. But, you know, if you're a college player and you're, and you're doing that kind of stuff, it's just it's it's kind of a joke. Like, I don't know if you, you have any experiences with this kind of stuff. I'm just like both you guys. I completely think that is necessary part of the game and it should be taken pretty seriously. You know, the game's over. You just got to put everything behind you and just be a respectful person and just shake the other person's hand and actually shake it. You know, we're adults. We know how, you know, hopefully you know how to shake someone else's hand. If you, I feel like it's just a respect thing that like, yeah, you know, we battle hard, but you know, I respect that what you do and you respect what I do. And I feel like if you can't even shake the other team's hand, I don't really know what to tell you. And there was one interesting thing I think I've learned in my time in the ACHA is it seems like the teams out West, if you're doing a series, at least in division one, when you're doing a series, the teams out West don't shake hands after the first game, but they shake hands after the second game, which I think makes almost a little more sense maybe it's a little redundant shaking hands on Friday night and then shaking hands again on Saturday. I don't know if you guys have any any experience on that. I remember in high school we would we would shake after like the full series was over, you you know, after you played your your full set against each other. So yeah, you wouldn't shake after the first game and you'd wait until it was like, okay, this is the last time we see each other. So I I kind of like that. Yeah, because I always find that the handshake line moves a little bit slower on the second game because guys are saying, you know, hey, like good luck the rest of the way, like safe travels home, and and you, you maybe spend a little more time chatting in that line where the the first night it's more of just like a shake hands, good game, and, and get off the ice. Yeah, I mean, once again, thanks for tuning in to the Hockey House Pod. Some really exciting times going on here in the ACHA and the CHF. So be sure to follow all everything that's going on at the Hockey House Pod here on social media. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and even some TikToks we got going on here. But, you know, if you see a a viral clip this weekend, be sure to send it our way. We'd love to get it up on the page. And we wish all, all the boys the best of luck in the playoff games this weekend. See you, boys. Thanks, boys.